All right, turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 16. can be found on page 801 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 801 in the Pew Bible. Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your covenant, your wife by covenant. Did he make, not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would open up our hearts and minds to your word. We ask that you would give us wisdom and insight into it, that we might rightly apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The institution of marriage has come under attack in our own day. In the culture, marriage has been redefined and has changed and shaped the society around us. And sadly, this has infiltrated the church, churches as well. And just as challenging for churches is that marriage, not only has it been, has it redefined, been redefined, but it, it's been minimized and rejected as a whole. For some, marriage isn't even that big of a deal. Why covenant together with one person for life? Why even bother with marriage? Why not receive all the benefits of marriage without an actual covenant commitment? Or why remain committed at all in the first place? Marriage is essential not only because of the well-being and flourishing of a society, but also because marriage was instituted by God. It is a covenant relationship that ultimately reflects Christ's relationship to his church, to his bride, the church. In our passage this morning, Malachi draws our attention to this third dispute, and he calls us to be faithful in our relationships and in our marriage. In the first dispute that we saw in Malachi, Israel failed to recognize God's love for them. In the second dispute, Israel failed to honor God in their worship, and specifically the priests. Recall that the, the priests were failing to lead Israel in honoring the Lord. And now this third dispute in the book deals with God's people being unfaithful 
in marriage. And it was affecting their worship of God. Their spiritual apathy and indifference to God, going through the motions of religion, was evident in the way they were faithless to God in their everyday relationships with him and with with one another, specifically. So our text reveals here that Israel was faithless to God and to one another. So the overarching issue that we see in our passage this morning is that of marriage and betrayal, or faithlessness. We see this word faithless several times in this section. In verses 10, 11, 14, 15, and 16, you could, you could mark those. They might say, broke faith, dealt treacherously with, faithless, 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 just constantly repeated through this section. So throughout this section, what we'll see is that there were two specific and practical ways in which their faithlessness fractured their covenant relationship with God and their spiritual unity as God's people. Two ways in which spiritual apathy and indifference to God show up in the life of the covenant community. One, mixed marriages, and two, divorce. Mixed marriages and divorce. So, so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at these two issues and then consider several practical lessons that we can learn from this. So first, you can see this in your outline. God's people violated the covenant by marrying unbelieving women. Israel's first problem was faithlessness through mixed marriages. So look with me again at verses 10 through 12. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts." Malachi begins this section by highlighting the the character of God and Israel's role and relationship to God. God is their father. He created them. He cares for them. He loves them. He's in a relationship with them. You recall from Exodus 4 that prior to their exodus from Egypt, Israel was called God's son, his firstborn son. Let my son go that he may serve me. Exodus 4 23, Deuteronomy 32, 6, is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? We saw this description of God back in in verse 6 of Malachi 1, 6, and now it's brought up again, which highlights their unique relationship to God. They all have one father, one God who created them which was tied to the covenant that God had made with Israel, right? even back with Abraham and then with Israel on Mount Sinai. To describe God in this way not only emphasizes his character and their relationship to him, but it also draws attention to the relationship that they had with one another, within Israel. They were a family. He was their father. He was their creator. And they were, they were his children, 
making them part of this covenant community. They were, they were brothers and sisters in that sense. Their covenant with God had an effect on their relationship with each other. So Malachi says, we have one Father. We have one God, and he created us. And since that's the case, therefore, why are we being faithless to one another? Why are we profaning the covenant of our fathers? We expect our children to treat each other in a kind way in our house. Why? One, because it honors the Lord, but two, because they're brothers and sisters. Treat your brother. This is your brother. This is your sister. Treat them the way they deserve to be treated. Be kind to them. You're, you're family. You're family. And yet Israel was being faithless to one another. How? How are they violating this covenant and profaning the holiness of God. This, this gets at the heart of the issue. They were marrying the daughter of a foreign God. The issue in Malachi and throughout Israel's history is that they were not to marry those who worshipped, the women who worshipped another God. They were, they were commanded and warned against marrying pagan women. It was a religious issue. It, it, was, a, it was a spiritual issue. It was never God's plan for Israel to marry outside God's covenant community, outside of God's people. Listen to some of the passages where we see this. Deuteronomy 7, 3, and 4. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Joshua 23, 12, and 13. Right? So they're, they're, they're entering the promised land, conquest, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. The issue was not, is not, that they were marrying someone from a different race or ethnicity. That's not the issue at all. We might think of instances in which they did. Boaz married Ruth. The Moabite. But Ruth was faithful. She attached herself to God and to his people. With Solomon. What happened with Solomon? We get a different picture. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. We read this long section about this. Let me just highlight some truths here. Solomon loved many foreign women. You shall not enter into marriage with them. They were told this, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And yet Solomon clung to these in love and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after their gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. And then the consequences of Solomon's sin and failing to keep the covenant, the nation of Israel was torn into two kingdoms. We also read this in Ezra, likely a contemporary of Malachi. The exiles have returned to the promised land, and now they're falling into the same sin that led to their exile. Ezra 9, 1 and 2. If you're in Sunday school class this morning in Ezra, 
we looked at these two passages. Fascinating. Ezra 9, 1 and 2. The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wise for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. That's what's happening in in Malachi's day. God's people were marrying someone outside of the covenant community. The problem with this is that is that God knew that if they married pagans, those who worshipped other gods, that Israel would be pulled away from their relationship with God. They were to be a holy people, set apart, distinct. And in compromising in this way, they were becoming just like the nations around them. Therefore, no longer maintaining their distinctiveness as God's covenant people. To marry outside the faith was to reject their identity as his people. And so they're warned in verse 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. To be cut off, even though bringing offerings, is to no longer be included in the people of God. The privileges they had and the blessings that they, they had as part of the family are gone. For someone in the covenant community to be cut off means to be placed outside the family, outside the the community of God's people. Israel violated their relationship with God by marrying unbelievers, and they were warned of its consequences. But this wasn't their only problem. So we see this in our second point. God's people violated the covenant by divorcing their wives. Israel's second problem was faithlessness through divorce. Faithlessness through divorce. Now, we've probably heard the statistic that 50% of all marriages end in divorce, even in the church. Well, recent studies have shown that the number is down. It's actually 35%. And it's 20 to 50% lower for those in the church. I'm sure you also know that 90% of stats are made up. I made that one up. (laughs) Whatever the case may be, the reality is that many of us have been affected by divorce in some way. So even as, as we talk about this, we recognize the challenges of it. We recognize that, that many of us have, have been personally affected by it. And so we do need to extend grace. We need to extend mercy for those who have been divorced. In fact, one writer commented that it's not shocking that many marriages end in divorce. That's not shocking. What's more shocking is that marriages actually last. What's more shocking is that marriages actually last. Because of our own sinful nature and the tendencies of our heart. Right? That's why we celebrate. Right? We celebrate yesterday, 50th wedding anniversary. 
It celebrates. Right? It, God's grace is there. It's extended to us. In, in this section in, in Malachi, he, he's addressing the issue of divorce that was prevalent in his day. And I, I would also add this. This is, this is a small passage in a, a larger context of the Bible. Right? So, so this passage isn't all there is to say about divorce and remarriage or exception clauses. Jesus also addressed uh, divorce in the Gospels. Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians. And so I'm not going to say everything there is to say about divorce in these next five to ten minutes that I spent on this point. All right? I'll probably spend ten minutes on this point. All right? So just have that in your mind as well. This isn't all there is to say about this topic. But look with me at verse 13, verses 13 through the first part of 15, and let's consider what the passage says. Verse 13, and the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. The second way that Israel violated the covenant was through divorce. We see this clearly in verse 16 as well. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, so there's the issue, divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence says Lord of hosts. So the charge is stated. The altar is flooded with tears and groaning because the offerings that the men were bringing are not being accepted. Then Israel replies, why not? Why aren't my offerings being accepted by God? They wonder, why is God not pleased with these offerings? God would not accept the sacrifices of those who brought offerings to him if they were living in unrepentant sin, even if they had sorrow, right? Weeping, tears, groaning, accept our offering, Lord, all while continuing to live in sin and have no problem in living in sin. Malachi answers that they've been faithless to their wives. They were divorcing their wives. The husband, he covers his garment. This phrase covers his garment with violence. He's behaved unjustly toward his wife by divorcing her. It's like a crime of violence. It's like, it was like a crime of violence and injustice. He fractured what God had established and deprived his wife of the dignity that she deserves and the protection that she deserves. And the Lord hates this. It's possible in this context that the men were divorcing their wives and then remarrying the foreign women. Right? So divorce their wives within the covenant and then remarry the women outside of the covenant. Uh, that, that's certainly possible. And it wasn't necessarily that they were finding fault in their spouse or divorcing because of conflict. Right? We know sometimes conflict causes divorce in our own day. We know that some men would, would divorce their wives for whatever reason, whether it was immorality or, or finding someone better 
more suitable for them or because they burnt their toast. One writer observed that Malachi is prompted by the actions of men divorcing their wives and marrying foreign women in order to gain access to local commerce. Marriage connections were a useful means of gaining political and economic advantage. Whatever the case might be, we're not certain. But what we see is that they were being faithless. And God served as a witness in the marriage ceremony. Which teaches us as well that marriage... Marriage is a union between one man and one woman instituted by and publicly entered into before God. There's a good definition of marriage for you. And God is called upon as a witness over the pledges that have been given. You notice here that the divorced wife is described in three ways in verse 14. She's the wife of your youth. So they've been in relationship for a long time, right? The wife of your youth. Number two, your companion. So it's a close, intimate relationship. They they were partners. They were cemented together. Joined together. Cleaving. Genesis 2.24. And three, it was your wife by covenant. A covenant is a relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. The husband and the wife have entered into a covenant relationship and made binding promises to each other, pledging lifelong loyalty and faithfulness. And so, by using all three of these terms, Malachi heightens, he intensifies their faithlessness of these men who have divorced their wives. They've destroyed a close, intimate, personal relationship and partnership that they've had for a long time and whom they had formally committed themselves to. Verse 15, they've destroyed this one flesh union that God had joined together. Marriage is a a physical and spiritual union. Reminds us of the original design of marriage back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, cling to, cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Malachi adds, and what was the one God seeking? What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. One of God's intentions of marriage is godly offspring. In other words, a new generation of covenant believers. That's what he's seeking after. If the men divorced their wives and and then married pagan women, God's design and intent was betrayed. If marriages were formed and maintained within God's people, it would be more likely to achieve God's goal, which was godly offspring. God's desire is that present and future generations would seek him and trust him and worship him and honor him and serve him. Godly marriages become one of the means by which God's purposes are accomplished. So because of the seriousness of this, 
and its effect on the nation as a whole, they're exhorted to guard themselves, to not be faithless. In verse 15 and 16, we see it two times. Guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. And then the very end, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. They were to guard themselves in their spirit, which means they were to, to watch over, to pay attention to, to keep with all diligence. And then second, do not be faithless or positively be faithful to each other. They were to stay committed to their word and the covenants that they had made. They were to protect themselves from influences and situations that would compromise these relationships. The root of the marital problems for Israel was spiritual. It was spiritual. Their their spiritual apathy and indifference to God was displayed in their faithlessness to each other. Okay. So as we apply this, what what do we learn from this? What are the implications, practical implications for us as individuals and as a church? Three lessons that we see here. I had many more, but I only have time for three. Number one, regarding the lesson that we learned from Israel marrying unbelievers. Children, students, singles. Children, students, singles. Listen carefully. God is concerned that you marry someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. Resolve to look for a spouse who is a Christian. The first question that you should ask yourself, or that you should ask is this, are they a believer in Jesus Christ? Are they trusting in Jesus Christ alone as their Lord and Savior? Under the new covenant, this principle still applied. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And one application is marriage. Paul would tell the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 7.39, so that comes in 2 Corinthians 6, in 1 Corinthians 7.39 in the previous letter, that the husband and wife are bound together in marriage. Okay, so they're bound together in marriage. Husband and wife are. But if her husband dies, here's what it says. So they're bound in marriage. Husband dies. Here's what we're told. She is free to be married to whom she wishes. Only in the Lord. The NIV states it like this. She is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. The New Living Translation says this, only if he loves the Lord. So children, students, singles, you will be likely tempted to look outside of the community of believers. You'll be tempted to. You will likely be tempted to compromise your Christian principles. Men can rationalize, I don't know if you realize this, Men can rationalize their relationships by pretending that their wives' allegiance to a different God won't affect their worship. That's what Israel was doing. They were were still bringing regular offerings to the Lord while compromising in this way. Don't settle. Young people, don't settle. Resolve to marry a believer in Jesus Christ. 
Now, what if you're in a situation, you've married someone who doesn't hold to the same beliefs? Maybe you've come to faith after you got married and your spouse doesn't hold the same truths. What if you're married to an unbeliever? What do you do? First, this doesn't mean that you're cut off from God's people. Okay? It doesn't mean that. Remain married. Be faithful. That was the command that we saw. Do not be faithless. Seek to live out the Christian life the best you can. So 1 Peter 3 talks about this. Seek to live out the Christian life the best you can in order that you might win them to the Lord by your conduct. I had the privilege of seeing my mom do this. And pray. Pray for your spouse. Ask the Lord to give you strength in your relationship with Christ and with your spouse. Number two, okay? So second application, second lesson that we learned. Number two, concerning divorce. Like I said from the beginning, there's way more that we could say about this issue. We know that many have been affected by divorce in some way. If you've been divorced or know someone divorced, I want you to know that there is forgiveness at the cross. The responsibility for those who have been divorced is to be faithful in the situation that God has placed them in or you in right now. God is concerned with your attitude and relationship to him now. If, you're, if you've remarried and he wants you, he's concerned that you're faithful to him now. Right? So maybe you've been divorced and you got remarried. Be faithful to the Lord in the situation that you're in now. For those who are married, I would encourage you to not let the word divorce even be in your vocabulary. You will have challenges in your marriage. You don't have to be married very long to realize this. My wife realized this back on our, in our honeymoon when I was affected by a red tide and I thought I was going to die. We're on the airplane. You should have seen me. Well, no, you shouldn't have seen me. I was awful. She was like, what did I just marry? She didn't know what she was getting herself into. She pledged for better or worse in sickness and in health. Stay committed. Remain true to your word. Recognize that there will be times of, of hardship. There will be Times of better or worse, sickness and health, good times and bad times, joy and sorrow. That, that exists, that we really know that. So guard yourselves. Guard yourselves because sometimes you could think, oh, well, I'd be better off. No, same situation would happen. Guard yourselves and do not be faithless. Grow in your love for the Lord. 
There is a direct connection between your relationship with God and how you treat your spouse. Spiritual apathy and indifference to God was reflected in their relationships. And we must guard against thinking that activity for God, I heard this this past week. I, I had to share this. Okay, so we were, at, we were on vacation last week. We went to church in Ames last Sunday. The pastor said this. It's perfect. We need to guard against, he didn't word it exactly like this, but we need to guard against activity for God, thinking that activity for God is the same as intimacy with God. Activity for God is not the same as intimacy with God. God was not pleased as they brought their offerings to him, and yet were living in sin. Right? They were doing some activity for God, and yet God was not pleased. But the heart that seeks after God will strive to love others the way Christ loves us. Number three. So third lesson we learn. Okay, so those who aren't married, single, young children, students, those who have been divorced, or even if you're married, how we should view divorce. And number three, we all recognize that no marriage is perfect. Two people, two imperfect people being joined together. What are we going to have? Conflict, strife, difficulty. No matter who it is, there will be challenges. We'll fail to love, we'll fail to lead, we'll fail to follow the way Christ calls us to. Our sinful tendency is a lot like Israel's. There are times when we are faithless and we compromise and allow spiritual apathy to affect our relationships. It's reality. You see, Israel had returned from exile. And yet they were sinning in the same way that led them into exile. Their hearts were hard and they were forsaking God and turning to idolatry. They were faithless in their relationships and marriages. And in the broader picture of the whole Bible, this passage points us to the greater reality found in Jesus Christ. And so they needed And we need to look outside of ourselves to the Lord. Because if we think that we can build strong marriages and families apart from the gospel, we're fooling ourselves. Sometimes we fail to love our spouses well because we forget the gospel. We forget that we are sinners in need of God's grace every day. We sang it, every hour I need you, Lord. If, if that's really true, if we really believe that, we should extend grace to our spouses or to in our relationships with others. Jesus came and was faithful. He was faithful to God the Father. He obeyed the covenant perfectly and he ushered in the new covenant by his blood. And as the groom, he sacrificially laid down his life, gave himself up for his bride, the church, so that we might be sanctified and cleansed. We weren't sanctified and cleansed. That we might be holy and without blemish. In our relationships, then, by God's grace, 
we can and should extend the same love and grace and mercy toward one another as we follow in Christ's steps. So as a church, as a church, as we seek to follow Christ's example, the implication for all of us is that we would pray for the marriages in our church. Pray for the marriages. Pray through the directory. I'm just going to pray for their marriages over and over for those that are married. If you're not married, pray for those who are married. We are a family. And as a family, we are connected and committed to one another. Let's pray for each other. Encourage each other. Hold each other accountable so that the marriages in our church might be stronger. Let's strive to honor the Lord by being faithful in our relationships and in our marriages. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray and ask that you would strengthen our relationship ultimately with you first and that that would overflow into our relationships with each other, that we would be faithful to you and that we'd be faithful to one another, that we'd seek to honor you in the way we treat one another, recognizing that all of our life is connected in some way and has an effect even on other believers. So would you help us in this way? Honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.